This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In an experiment. Why is light so far? Like, it sounds so simple. They had no idea. But now the data speaks. I find this not only refreshing, but, but at some level astounding. Nature. Welcome back to the Nature Podcast. This week, super cool molecules. And an efficient plastic degrading enzyme. I'm Shamini Bandel. And I'm Nick Howe. As you probably know by now, we've been making some changes recently, including recording from a variety of Pillow Fort Studios in our living rooms and keeping the main nature podcast a coronavirus-free zone. I will just do a little plug, though, for our Friday Coronapod, where we've jammed in all the coronavirus science in one handy weekly show. Do check it out. In the meantime, we've got plenty of fascinating science nuggets for you here, and starting us off, a better way to deal with plastic waste. That's right. I don't think many people would argue with the importance of recycling plastic. But the way it's currently done means that a lot of plastic actually ends up in landfill anyway. But this week in Nature, French company Carbius, working with the Toulouse Biotechnology Institute, reports a powerful new way to avoid the landfill, using an enzyme to very effectively break down plastic. So, reporter Ali Jennings has been talking to Carbios' chief scientific officer, Alan Marty. Ali started by asking Alan about the scale of the problem they set out to tackle. The problem is really plastic waste. And unfortunately, 9 million tonnes of plastics end up in seas and ocean each year. I think now it is no more acceptable for the society and for consumer. So, what kind of plastic did you focus on? Yes, uh, PET, polyethylene terephthalate, is, it is one of the main polymer used and it is the most abundant polyester. It is produced at uh, 70 million tons annually in the world and uh, around 25 million tons are used in bottles and packaging and 50 million tons in textile. So how do you deal with that much PET? The idea was to use enzymes to break down the polyester. 
to make PET, we have two monomers, and these two monomers are linked by an ester bond. And uh, the enzyme is like a molecular scissor, which will break this ester bond and liberate the two monomers. So is this enzyme fundamentally different or is it like the existing enzymes that are out there? We optimize the thermostability of the enzymes and uh, we increase the performance of the scissor. We redesign entirely the active site of this enzyme. And at the end, the best result we obtain using post-consumer waste is to convert 90% of the PT into monomers in less than 10 hours. And is that good compared to other existing techniques? If we compare with the best enzyme described uh, uh, as far in the literature, the performance of this enzyme is 100 times higher. So how did you feel when you first saw the results of what the enzyme could do? To be honest, I am always wondering how is it possible to obtain this kind of performance with a plastic? When we obtain uh, these uh, very, very good results, we were really very proud. And how easy is it or how easy would it be to put this method into wider usage? It will only require the addition of a depolymerization unit to create PET in a normal PET production plant. So what you're suggesting is that instead of going to a separate recycling facility, you would add this new block to an existing plastic uh, production facility. Exactly. Instead of using fossil-based resources to produce PET, uh, PET producer will be able to use plastic waste as their raw material and they will produce the equivalent virgin PET. And uh, we have already produced the first PET bottles made with 100% recycled plastic. And our plan now is to construct an industrial demonstration plant and uh, we will start the operation uh, mid-2021. So what are the kind of consumer goods that we can, we might expect to be able to give back to plastic manufacturers to turn into something else? It could be uh, water bottle or soda bottles or shampoo bottles. It could be also packaging. But the main part is also textile, what is called uh, polyester, which is, which is the first fiber before cotton. So how does this uh, way of recycling PET compare to existing ways that we recycle PET? The main way to, to recycle PET nowadays is called thermomechanical uh, recycling. But it is not really a, a true solution for the end of life of plastics because during this process, the PET is, uh, is degraded and uh, there is a loss in uh, mechanical properties. And after several cycles, the material at the end will end up incinerated or landfill. It would be better to develop closed loop of recycling and the process we have developed is one of the possibility to create this closed loop of recycling of PET. That was Alan Marty from Carbios. You can find the paper he and Ali talked about over at nature.com or we'll put a link in the show notes. Later on, we'll be finding out how to get molecules really cold 
First, though, it's time for the research highlights. Read to you this week by Dan Fox. You won't believe how shocking the next research highlight is. Did that pique your curiosity? Because it turns out that human curiosity, even about trivial matters, can be so strong that people are willing to risk uncomfortable electric shocks in order to satisfy their inquisitiveness. Researchers in the UK showed volunteers videos of magic tricks. They then offered them the chance to find out how the tricks were performed, but before they could learn the secret, they were given their odds of learning the solution versus their odds of receiving an electrical shock. Volunteers then had to decide on whether it was worth taking the gamble to satisfy their curiosity. Even when the risk of being shocked was 50% or more, some volunteers still took the chance. Scans of their brains showed that anticipation of having their curiosity satisfied activates similar neural pathways to those involved in expecting a reward. If you're still curious about that research, you can read it in full at Nature Human Behaviour. Oktoberfest. The festival that takes place in Munich, Germany each year is renowned worldwide as a celebration of beer, bratwurst and polka. But it's also known by researchers for the excessive natural gas produced at the event site. Now a team from Munich have measured methane emissions around the festival and found that levels during the carnival were up to 100 parts per billion higher than in the time afterwards. The researchers estimate that the majority of this extra methane leaks from gas appliances used to heat the festival and cook meals for the 300,000 daily visitors. But they also calculate that a stinking 22% of the emissions are, um, produced by the revellers themselves. The authors hope that their work could help form the basis for future policies to reduce the emission footprint of large festivals. Sniff out that paper in full at Atmospheric Chemistry and Physics. Next up on the show, things are getting cool. Really cool. As temperatures go down, atoms and molecules start moving less and less. But when they get to ultra-cool temperatures, close to absolute zero, then things start to get really interesting we can reach so-called quantum degenerate region, where individual particles become indistinguishable. This is Hyung Muk Sun, a physicist who works on getting things super cold. When atoms or molecules cool down to this degenerate region, they can form a special kind of matter known as a Bose-Einstein condensate. Here, the atoms or molecules can act as if they're one quantum object, so quantum effects that are otherwise hard to study get amplified allowing physicists to explore a range of puzzling phenomena. Physicists have managed to cool atoms down close to absolute zero and probe the peculiar quantum states that emerge. But to get molecules, bonded groups of atoms close to absolute zero, has proven much more challenging. This week in Nature, Hyungmuk and his colleagues think they've cracked the problem by mastering a long-sought technique called collisional cooling. Reporter Lizzie Gibney gave Hyungmuk a call and started by asking him why researchers are so keen to cool molecules. 
So these molecules can rotate and vibrate, something that single atoms cannot do. And using these rotations and vibrations, we can control their quantum behavior. And also, if the one atom is different from the other, the molecules become polar. And this polarity empowers these molecules to strongly interact with each other, even at long distance, which is something that atoms cannot really achieve either. So the kind of tools that you have to play with your, your molecules, you have a lot more tools to play with your molecules than you would if they were atoms, so you can do cooler things. Exactly. So we have more knobs to control their uh, interactions or quantum states, basically. So describe to me what this collisional cooling actually involves. Collisional cooling is like a refrigerator. Basically, you have a bunch of colder particles that remove heat from the sample that you want to cool. A key in this technique is that the particles should effectively exchange energy through so-called good collisions without heating or destroying each other, so-called bad collisions. People are pretty good at cooling certain type of atoms. So using that well-cooled atoms as a refrigerator for molecules seemed very ideal. However, they're just more than a pair of atoms. The complexity makes them tend to have destructive bad collisions with atoms. And in this case, how were you able to encourage the good collisions over the bad ones? So we let our molecules and atoms spin in the same way. By doing so, we suppressed that bad destructive collisions. So atoms and molecules efficiently exchange energy by colliding without much of destruction and heating. So in our work, we have cooled diatomic molecules from 2 microkelvin to 200 nanokelvin using sodium atoms as refrigerators. And this is the first successful demonstration of a collision of cooling of molecules down to nanokelvin temperatures. So we're talking what trillionths of a, of a degree above absolute zero. Is that cold enough in order to see this kind of amplified quantum behavior that you're looking for? If we get molecules to be about five times colder than what we achieved so far, we will reach the quantum degenerate region. And we think by solving some technical limitations in our experiment, we'll be able to cool our molecules further down to that quantum degenerate region. So you're on the brink of being able to do that. Right. So the finer temperatures of our molecules is not limited by fundamental problems, but rather technical problems. By upgrading our apparatus, we believe we can basically bring the temperature of molecules down to even close to quantum degenerate region. And what are some of the applications then that you hope to be able to do or, or the kind of quantum states that you hope to, uh, to be able to create once you have got down to that, that region? There are many directions we can pursue once we make quantum degenerate molecules. For instance, we can use the molecules as a qubits to make quantum computers out of. And also, we can simulate some very exotic quantum materials uh, using these molecules. And also, we can study chemical reactions between molecules or even molecule and atom at the quantum level. And so these kinds of vibrations and, and rotations and things that a molecule is able to do, does that mean that you have a much greater variety in, in the quantum states and the experiments that you can do than you would if you were doing them just with atoms? Exactly. So rotations and vibrations, this is something that you cannot really use out of the atoms. So it's a, it's a whole new kind of quantum world that hopefully we'll be exploring soon. I hope so too. <laughs> That was Hyung Muk Sun from Harvard University in the US. You can find his paper over at nature.com or there'll be a link in the show notes. Now, we're not going to have a news chat for a while, but don't forget you can check out Coronapod. 
The next episode is on Friday and you can find it in all our usual channels. For now though, Dan Fox is back with a mysterious research highlight. An intergalactic murder mystery has been solved, revealing a long sought after culprit, an intermediate mass black hole. Intermediate mass black holes are black holes smaller than their supermassive siblings that exist at the centre of galaxies, but larger than stellar mass black holes formed by collapsing stars. They've long been theorised to exist, but have avoided definite detection until now. Astronomers got their first inkling that something was out there when they detected a burst of X-rays, a telltale clue of a black hole tearing a star apart. To investigate, the researchers used two X-ray observatories and the Hubble telescope and discovered the source of the flare to be a dense cluster of stars, exactly the sort of shady hangout that an intermediate mass black hole could be found in. Caught in the act of devouring a star, the X-ray glow produced allowed them to estimate the object's mass and confirm their suspicions that it was the wanted medium-sized black hole. Read the rest of that case file at Astrophysical Journal Letters. That's it for this week. Don't forget, if you feel like reaching out to us, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Nature Podcast. Or if Twitter isn't your thing, you can send us an email. It's podcast at nature.com. I'm Shamini Bundell. And I'm Nick Howe. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 